When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Something You Should Know, what those health claims on food labels really mean. And they don't mean much. Then, how to get people to like you and do what you want them to. It's using the principles of influence and rapport in order to get somebody more compliant to wanting to do what you want them to do. So it's not manipulation where I'm getting you to do something that you may not want to do. It's getting you to actually want to do the things that I want you to do. Then, if you want your car to last a long time, try not to start it. I'll explain. And if you ever have trouble sleeping, there are some proven ways to fix that. For example, Your bedroom needs to be cool and dark. Try this when you next go into your bedroom. Put your hand in front of your face, and if you can see it really clearly, then the bedroom's too light. And even after your eyes have got used to the dark, you should still find it quite difficult to see completely across the room. All this today on Something You Should Know. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something you should know. Fascinating intel. The world's top experts. And practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi, welcome. You know, one of the great things about doing this podcast is reading the reviews that people post on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever people listen to this podcast. It's great to read the reviews and they're almost always complimentary. There are always people who pick on a few things or they disagree with a guest or they didn't like the guest or whatever. But mostly people are very complimentary because they enjoy learning the things we discuss on this podcast. If you haven't left a review, or even if you have left a review, you can always write another one if you have something new to say, and it's always greatly appreciated because when people see that a podcast has a lot of reviews, they're more likely to give it a listen. And I, personally, enjoy reading them. First up today, we consumers can be really influenced by certain food labels. Phrases like kid approved or doctor recommended actually don't have any meaning at all. Even the words healthy, organic, and antioxidants can be used to lure us in. Here are some common phrases to watch out for. Free range, green, made with whole grains, may lower cholesterol, natural, strengthens your immune system. Now, although this wording on labels might be truthful, they don't really have any meaning because there are no standards for the definition of those terms. For example, something could contain a tiny little bit of whole grains, which means it was made with whole grains. And natural, well, 
Dirt is natural. Cyanide is natural. But eating it isn't going <laughs> to do much for your health. So being natural doesn't mean anything either. So don't let those phrases lure you in to think something is healthy. It might be, but it might not be either. And that is something you should know. How do you get the things you want when you want them? How do you get people to cooperate with you, even like you, in a way that's fulfilling for you and them, and, and just makes your life go easier? Wouldn't it be great if we could engineer a life that was more rewarding and contained fewer problems and less friction? Well, that is just what Christopher Hadnagy has set out to do. Christopher is a global security expert who's mapped out a way to help you get more of what you want out of the life you lead. He is author of the book, Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. Hi, Christopher. Welcome. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So start by explaining where this whole idea came from. Sure. So over the last uh, decade and a half, I've been involved in something that we're calling human hacking or social engineering. So my job is literally getting paid to hack people and companies uh, to test their security. So I get paid to break in the buildings, to write phishing emails, to do vishing calls. And through the, through the time, I've studied and analyzed how and why people make decisions. And then learned how to use those decision-making uh, models in order to get people to do things that they shouldn't do. But I also started to find that I was using these very same skills in my everyday life. I was using them with my family, with my friends, therapists, workmates, and I found that I was able to really influence people in a good way, a positive way. So not manipulate them, but being able to get things I want out of life, being able to uh, uh, communicate properly with folks and I started to teach people these things. And one thing led to another. And these skills that I use every day to, to security audit businesses could be used for everyday people in everyday life to learn how to communicate better and get things you want out of life. And an, an example of that would be what? Uh, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you one of the examples that I love because this one um, always fascinated me when I saw it happen. My wife, my daughter, and I were in the U.K., and we were flying back from uh, London, from Heathrow, uh, back into New York. And we had went to the airport. We were flying um, Virgin Airlines, and we were in economy class. So, you know, I, I have this, uh, this trolley full of, of bags, and I'm pushing it up towards the cart, and I hit this tile that was a little bit off-centered, and my bags f spill all over the floor, and it was loud and everybody turns around and I make this joke. I go, ah, oh, dumb American on an accident on the M5. An M5 is a highway in the, in the UK. And everybody laughed, but the woman behind the counter looked at me, caught me in the eye and chuckled. And I'm like, oh, great. She's in a good mood. So in my head, I said, I want to go to her because everyone looks stressed at the airport. And I wanted to chat with her. I didn't have any plans here, but I just thought, let's go because she's happy. And I wanted to see if we can get an upgrade. So we get up to the counter, we're checking in, and now this was unplanned, but I can't, like, you can't even uh, make this stuff up. My wife starts talking to this woman about her makeup and how her scarf looks and how it matches her makeup and how beautiful it is. And this woman is just smiling from ear to ear. And my wife's not laying it on thick. She's not being manipulative. She's just telling her, wow, that's, can I buy one of those scarves? I love those colors. And she's like, no, only if you work for the airline. 
And I'm seeing all of these great happy chemicals get released in her brain. I mean, her face is showing real happiness. She's got this beautiful smile. Her head is tilting. Her posture softens. I'm watching all of this happen in real time. Uh, and it's at that moment, I, I lean over and I, I put my hand around my wife and I say, um, hey, I'm just curious, you know, we probably can't afford it, but I'm just wondering, could you give us the price for an upgrade? You know, we're an economy and it's a long flight. So we'd love to see if we can, you know, fly back, uh, you know, maybe in, in economy plus or something. She doesn't even look at me. She just looks at my wife and she goes, let me see what I can do. And she taps away on the keyboard and then she gets really quiet and she leans into my wife and she goes, look, I'm going to put all three of you in first class. You know, just, just don't tell anyone. And I was like, wow, how much will that be? Again, she doesn't even look at me. She looks at my wife and she says, I'm going to do it as a gift, free for you. So we got three upgrades to first class tickets. And all we did was make this person feel better for having met us, validate her choices, and ask a question when all of those things occurred. So it's a it's an example of what we do every day for work, but using it in a positive way. And then we got a benefit out of it. And so what's going on there? I mean, that's a good story, but dissect that, the pieces of that story to explain what happened. Sure. So the first thing that happened is when I came in and I made that joke um, and people turned around and and, and anyone who flies, you know, and this is pre-COVID, so anyone who flew then, you know, the airports were stressful. Agents are constantly getting yelled at. They're, you know, constantly being told from angry passengers the flight was wrong or things are delayed. So when I made the joke and I saw this one agent smile, a real smile, like it wasn't fake, I said, oh, I want to go talk to her because at least she's happy. Maybe this is the beginning of her shift. She hasn't you know, started yet. No one's angry with her. So I want to I go talk to her. So that was the first thing that you can replicate is looking for a person that has the right emotional content for the ask you're going to make. So then when we go up there and we're talking, and this was unplanned, but I'll tell you um, uh, another factor is that after we did this, I was so amazed that it worked. And I told my wife, we have to try this. We have tried it six more times and it's worked four out of six times. Um, so the the next part of the, the process is my wife found something to validate the agent on that was real. So, and and the part of this that is really important is she wasn't making it up. She wasn't just telling this woman that she looked pretty just to butter her up. She was legitimately really thought her makeup was immaculate and the way she matched the colors to her scarf was perfect. Now, I couldn't do this part, right? If I did this, it would seem creepy and it would seem like I was hitting on her. My wife doing this, though, it came off legit and she would say, man, I love this. My wife is from Thailand. She loves bright colors. So she says, oh, in my country, these colors are just so beautiful. I love them. I would love to have a scarf like that. Where can I buy one? And she's like, oh, you can't. She's like, but you matched it so perfect to your makeup. She goes, yes, thank you for noticing. Right. So now this woman, the agent, she's feeling validated. All the hard work she put into that makeup is now being pointed out as being so valid and wonderful. So you can duplicate that. At that moment is when I decided to go for my ask right? The ask being, can we get an upgrade? And I didn't say, hey, can we get that upgrade for free? What I said was, look, we probably can't afford it because I know they can be expensive, but what would it cost if I wanted to upgrade to like premium economy? And she had been so validated, feeling so good that she decided to gift back. So that's a principle called reciprocation. So in the principle of reciprocation, the person that gets a gift wants to give you a gift back, but they determine the value. So for, for her, the gift that my wife gave 
was this validation that all of her hard work for the makeup was beautiful, that she did a wonderful job, and that it matched and it was immaculate. So that made her feel so good that gifting us three first-class tickets felt like an equal reciprocation. So to, to me, the duplication of that is you can duplicate this by looking for a similar environment, finding something to validate the person that is real and honest because it has to be real and honest, and then making your ask after the validation occurs. And like I said, we've tried this six more times. It's worked four out of six times. And, um, and it's amazing when it does, because, you know, you, you really connect with people and they also get a psychological reward for making your day better. Don't you think though, that, I mean, you seem like a nice personable guy and that you can have these kind of conversations with people, but there are other people who are kind of shy and it would be difficult for them to do what you're talking about. Yes, that's a great, that's a great point. And uh, in working with many, many folks over the years, uh, we have actually worked with quite a few introverted people. Uh, I even have some here at my company that are extremely introverted and are able to apply these skills. But what it takes a lot of times is more planning and not stepping out of who you are, right? So I would never encourage a, a truly introverted or shy person to be like, hey, you have to be gregarious and outgoing and you have to be this you know life of the party person or you can't use these skills i would say to that person no you could stay who you are you could have your personality keep who you are because that will be authentic and real but you have to plan that conversation out a little more because it may feel awkward at first until you practice the skills and so really what you're doing if i'm reading this right is is you're making people feel good about themselves and also feeling good about you for making them feel good about themselves and they're more likely to lower the barriers and give you what you want. Exactly right. So if we look at this from the aspect of strangers, so not people that we already know, when we approach a stranger to have an interaction, regardless of what it is, we're in a Starbucks and we're going to chat with a stranger about their cell phone or we just meet someone at a grocery store and we just say hi that person is looking at us and wondering, you know, are we a threat? What do we want from them? Uh, how much time is this going to take? You know, they, they're wondering these core things that, that we have to answer in our first few seconds of interaction with that stranger to make them feel comfortable. So when we do that, they open up, they feel more comfortable opening up to us. And then when our requests are made, they're more likely to be honored because of the relationship that we built in that short time. I'm speaking with Christopher Hadnagy. He is author of the book, Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. As a listener to Something You Should Know, I can only assume that you are someone who likes to learn about new and interesting things and bring more knowledge to work for you in your everyday life. I mean, that's kind of what Something You Should Know is all about. And so I want to invite you to listen to another podcast called TED Talks Daily. Now, you know about TED Talks, right? Many of the guests on Something You Should Know have done TED Talks. Well, you see, TED Talks Daily is a podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday in less than 15 minutes. Join host Elise Hugh. She goes beyond the headlines, so you can hear about the big ideas shaping our future. Learn about things like sustainable fashion, embracing your entrepreneurial spirit, the future of robotics, and so much more. Like I said, if you like this podcast, 
something you should know? I'm pretty sure you're going to like TED Talks Daily. And you get TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. So, Christopher, how do you develop the sense of, you know, when to do this? You know, like the old Kenny Rogers song, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. When do you use this? How do you determine that? Or do you just use it all the time? Because the more you try it, the more likely it'll work. If you never try it, it won't work. So you just try it all the time, or you, you're you careful about when you try it? Yeah, that's I love that question. So uh, like I said before with the airline story, it's worked four out of six. So the two times it didn't work, uh, it just didn't matter what my wife said to that person, how much validation. They were just having a bad day. They didn't care. They didn't want to connect with another person. And we don't know why. Maybe that maybe that person's in a really horrible life circumstance. Maybe they're going through a nasty divorce. Maybe they woke up in pain and they're having to work because they can't get the day off. You know, there could be a million reasons that the that the the rapport I was trying to build didn't work, and I have to just accept that. So at that point, instead of continually trying, I just give up, give in, and move on because there's it's not it's not the end of the world. And the more serious case where maybe I'm talking to my sister about um, healthcare for my mom. What I, what I should never do is if she doesn't answer the way I want is then change who I am. Like I'm being this empathetic, kind person and then get aggressive and mean. I knew you were going to be a jerk about this. I knew you were going to be selfish. Stick to that pretext of being that kind, empathetic person and just try again at another time. So I I love that question because I think at times you do have to just say, look right now, my my plan's not going to work, and I gotta I gotta fold it and walk away. But is it a general attitude towards people, or is it being able to read situations one at a time and saying, "Let's try this"? Oh, it's a little bit of both. See, so the general attitude towards people, I find an interesting um, comment because today we are so disconnected because of technology. It is not uncommon to see people walking down a street just on their cell phones, headphones in, in their own little world. We don't even interact in a nonverbal way with strangers as much as we do anymore. Now with COVID and masks and trying to stay social distance, we we are not interacting the same as we used to um, with people. So part of it is our attitude towards people, finding that natural curiosity that we should have with people that makes us want to learn about them, want to learn about you, and find out what makes you tick so I can then develop this relationship with you. And then the other part of it is learning um, how to read situations and knowing what tactic would be best in this situation. In terms of tactics, I mean, you, you told the story about the airport, but what are some of the other strategies here that work? It, it's understanding what kind of a communicator are you and how do you like to receive and give information? And if I can determine that quickly, then um, what what would happen for me is if I can reciprocate that, you and I will communicate in a much better way. And you will feel more comfortable with me, and I'll feel more comfortable with you. And it may mean changes on my part. So that's one tactic. Uh, And another is using the principles of influence and rapport in order to get somebody uh, more compliant to wanting to do what you want them to do. So it's not manipulation where I'm getting you to do something that you may not want to do. It's getting you to actually want to do the things that I want you to do. It does, though. I'm sure people could hear you 
and think, yeah, this sounds manipulative. This <laughs> this sounds like you're trying to get something and you're, well, it just sounds like you're manipulating people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get that often, right? So let's let's break that down. Everything we do in life, there, there's a goal we have, right? You're going out to order food. You want the food you ordered. You know, the, 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 you're going to rent a car. You want the best car out of the, the choices that are available there. You know, you're, you're getting your seat on a plane. You want the best seat that you are paying for. So everything that we do in life has a goal that is about what we want. Uh, so that doesn't make you selfish and it doesn't make you manipulative. It just is the way we are. It's, that's what we're doing. Now, we can do those things very directly. I can go and rent my car, slap my credit card on the counter, go get the car I want. Or I can be empathetic, kind, compassionate, make that person's day a little bit better. And maybe in return, what I get is a gift of an upgrade or a better car or the best choice because I've done something nice for that person in that day. So it's not, it's, it's not that I'm only going to be nice to you Michael, if you do something nice for me, it's I'm going to be nice to you regardless of the outcome. And maybe the reciprocation will be that you do this nice thing for me. And what's I'm your, still going to hold to that. And what's your batting average? Well, um, I would say over the last couple of years, it's, it's, it's up in the 90s for sure, uh, percent, I would say, of, of success. But that's also been years of practicing and honing these skills and doing it wrong, right? Because there are so, – to your point, there are ways I can do this wrong where I focus so much on what I want out of a situation that I, when I don't get the answer, I then start to lean more towards manipulative tactics. And I've had to root that out of myself because you don't want that, you know, because there are times where you try your hardest, the person you're dealing with just will not comply with what you want. And that's okay. You still made them feel better because you were a nice person. Well, but there's also the case of, I think sometimes people will be nice in hopes that other people will see them being nice, but they don't ever really ask for anything the way you asked for your upgrade. So they, they're they nice, but nothing ever happens, and they go, oh, well, geez, I was really hoping that they would give me an upgrade. Well, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yes, I agree with that. And then the 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 side point to that is if you do ask and don't get, that shouldn't alter how you treat someone the next time. Or you shouldn't now look at that person and give them a glaring bad look or change your attitude all of a sudden to be negative or, or harsh. It's, I'm being nice because this is the person I want to be. I want to be known as an empathetic, kind, compassionate person. And if in the process of being that kind of person, I can also get upgrades or get the better seed or get this or that, great. And if I can't, then guess what? I'm still going to be known as a kind, compassionate, empathetic person, and that's still the win for me. So I'm cool with that. What other little things that are going on here that that can help you get what you want? Like I mentioned, like if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. But but if you, what what else can you do to kind of steer the conversation in the right direction? So there's a, a large area of study that um, that as a society we kind of gotten away from, and that's nonverbal communications, uh, and and mainly technology, and especially now with COVID, you know most of our meetings are happening like this one. We're over the internet, uh, we're on a, a an audio platform. We're not really seeing each other. 
Um, they, many business meetings are happening this way, negotiations, uh, client deals, and we've lost that piece of communication that allows us to, to help someone open up, and that's the nonverbal piece. Things as simple as a real smile, uh, a head tilt that is proper, open ventrals, which means like you're keeping your palms up. These things make someone else that's viewing you feel comfortable. They feel you're non-threatening. They feel that you are warm and inviting. Uh, when, when we miss those things, we have to now envision. What do you look like? How are you sitting right now? Are you with your arms folded? Are you angry? Did you, you know, I, I have to picture all of that. And that each person will put a different mental picture in their mind of what the other person they're dealing with looks like and is sitting like. And if you're having a bad day, and we've all done this, and here's an example of it. You send an email to one of your coworkers, let's say, and you normally joke with this person, and you're always really jovial. It's not inappropriate joking. It's not bad. But you always say little, like, sarcastic, flippant comments back and forth. And they always laugh and come back to you with a, with a, re, with a return flippant comment. Well, now there's one day you come into work, and you start your day off, and you hit them up on your chat and you're like, you know, here, flippant comment, and that person just lays into you. What a jerk. I can't believe you would say that to me. This is awful. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Well, that person's having a bad day. So depending on that day that we're having, will alter our, our ability to read nonverbals, to see nonverbals, to communicate properly. So when we miss that piece of being able to see the people we're talking to, it's really hard to understand that. So I think that little tip can really help enhance communications for people. Sure, because, you know, how you appear, if you, you had gone to the airport and asked what you asked for and you were wearing tattered clothes and your hair was a mess and you smelled bad, eh, you wouldn't have gotten it. Exactly right. If I was wearing an offensive T-shirt or um, if I, it, and here's another thing you can't control. And I tell the people this all the time. If you just look like somebody that somebody had a bad interaction with, my wife had a friend once that um, her ex-husband was abusive towards her. And sadly, he looked a lot like me. We can never be in the same room together because she had a visceral negative reaction to my appearance. I can't do anything about that. So the thing I can do is not force her to be in the same room with me. The kind thing to do would be when she was there, I wasn't. So that way she wasn't uncomfortable. And that's nothing that she can control, and it's nothing I can control. So sometimes we have to realize, too, that with our best efforts, we, we can try to alter the things that we can alter to make it more comfortable for other people to put them in that right position. Um, but there's just some things that may not, may not be alterable. And so lastly, just the general takeaway from all of this is, is to what? Is to... Uh, is it is it a change in how you present yourself to the world or is it identifying situations where you can maybe get more than you might have thought before i mean what's the what's the approach here yeah i i love that if i had to sum it all up i would say that the core principle is applying empathy to everything we do and applying empathy in in how we pick up on those cues how we use those cues, how we prepare ourselves for a conversation, and then how we conduct that conversation. If we do all of that with, with applying empathy in every step of the, the path, then we will be able to produce a conversation that leaves people feeling better for having met us. 
we will be more than likely to get the things that we want out of life, and we won't have used manipulative negative tactics on people while doing it. So it's just a powerful principle to apply in life, in the everyday life. Well, you know what I find interesting is that what you're proposing is, in essence, a common courtesy strategically applied. But maybe that's why it has become common courtesy in the sense that you're, you're nice to people, they'll be nice to you. And when you are a little more deliberate about it, maybe it works even better. Christopher Hadnagy has been my guest. He is a global security expert, and his book is called Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. And you'll find a link to his book in the show notes. Thank you, Christopher. Thanks, Mike. It's been a great pleasure to be on the show. really appreciate it. There isn't a person alive who hasn't had trouble sleeping or felt the negative effects from having too little sleep. And since we all have to spend a lot of our lives sleeping, we may as well make sure we're doing it right and getting all the benefits we can from it. Here to help us do that is health journalist Kim Jones. Kim has written for The Daily Mirror, The Sunday Express Magazine, and Woman's Weekly, among others. And she spent a lot of time looking into the science and research on sleep. She's written a book called Trick Yourself to Sleep, 222 Ways to Fall and Stay Asleep from the Science of Slumber. Hey, Kim, welcome to Something You Should Know. Thank you, Mike. It's really good to be here. So people talk about sleep a lot, and and usually in the negative, as in, I didn't get enough sleep last night, I feel real tired, oh, I'm having trouble sleeping. So how big a problem is sleep or lack of sleep? It's a huge problem. I get asked by um, my editors, I'm a a health journalist in the UK, I get asked by my editors on a weekly basis to write something on sleep. And they're always asking me for, you know, what's new, what can people do? Because just thousands and thousands of people have problems with getting sleep, staying asleep, all sorts of things. And, you know, it's linked to sleeplessness is linked to so many long term chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, a propensity to strokes, high blood pressure, depression, everything. So it's a huge problem. And it's one that um, so many people are struggling with, I think, especially now when adding to everything, they've got anxiety, um, which seems to sort of always loom larger when you get into the bedroom and you lie down in bed, you just start going over everything that's happening in the world. And it's getting even more difficult to sleep. So I think it's a it's a problem that's only getting worse, unfortunately. And so where's the line between, because everybody occasionally has sleep problems, they don't fall asleep, they're excited about tomorrow, or they had a really great day or a depressing day, and you know, that that comes and it goes. But where's the line between occasional sleep problems that everybody has and real sleep problems? Yeah, there, there is a line. As you say, I think a lot of us do get the occasional odd sleepless night. Um, But if you're getting, I'd say, sort of more than three or four poor nights in a week, then you might be looking at uh, going to see your GP and just talking it through. Um, You might want to look at some sort of talking therapies to help you. 
so it's it's a case of if it's going on for uh, several months where you're getting four or five nights a week where you just aren't sleeping well, then it's worth looking into it. And what can happen is once you start sleeping badly, it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Every time you walk into your bedroom, you will start to uh, dread getting into bed so you need to get your bedroom into a place in your mind which is associated with calm and um, and sleep rather than uh, worry and uh, tossing and turning and and feeling anxious so if you can nip it in the bud that's that's the best thing but you know easier said than done and so you, you just said that, you know, if you're not sleeping well, but what does that mean to sleep well? I don't know that everybody even knows that. I mean, what does sleeping well mean? If you go to bed and you fall asleep within 20 minutes, you're lucky and you're a good sleeper. And if you stay asleep through the night, perhaps getting up to go to the bathroom once or twice and you're able to go back straight to sleep after that and you wake in the morning and you feel refreshed, um, then that's that's you're a good sleeper. You're lucky. But um, I think that if you're a poor sleeper, it's the, the issue is if you wake up several times in the night, you just can't go back to sleep. You feel as if you're tossing and turning for hours on end and you wake in the morning and you're unrefreshed and you find yourself needing to nap during the day, then you probably do have, have problems. Saying that, I think a lot of people often feel they've had a poor night's sleep if they do wake in the night and they're sort of tossing and turning for a, for five or 10 or 15 minutes. It can feel like they've slept far less than they have. And when actually you look at um, how long they have slept for, they, they sometimes have slept longer than they feel they have. Um, but the problem is if you're not functioning well in the day, then you, you probably haven't had a good night. But, um, you know, a few of us are very, very lucky in that we go to bed, fall asleep within 15 minutes and then wake up eight hours later. For many people, it does seem that sleep is not a priority that, you know, I'll just I'll sleep later. I'm, uh, but I'm too busy. I've got too much to do. Uh, and there are people who say, well, I only need four hours of sleep a night, which as someone who sleeps eight hours, uh, I can't even imagine functioning on four hours sleep. But for many people, sleep just isn't a priority. It's just something you do at the end of the day because, well, you've got to. I do think that we've got a little bit better in recent times in realizing that sleep is our life support system. We do need it and we need to have good quality sleep. But I do agree that so many people don't um, prioritize it and, and sort of they don't realize that they do need to work at it and try to prepare their bodies for a good night's sleep. In that vein, I'd, I'd sort of like to say that there are some basic sleep rules that we should all adhere to uh, to help us get a good night's sleep. And one of those is that we need to sort of stick to a, a good routine, uh, a our bodies like routine. They like sticking to a regular sleep schedule because that does help synchronize our sleep-wake cycle and strengthen our body's natural circadian rhythm, its natural 24-hour cycle. So you should be trying to go to bed, I'd say, at the same time every night and waking up at the same time every morning, even on weekends, I'm afraid. 
because with good routine, your body gets to know exactly when it should be releasing its sleep and wake hormones. Don't stress too much about exact times, but if you can keep within an hour of your normal bedtimes and wake times, you're going to help yourself. So that's something you should work on. Also, you should work on looking at your caffeine consumption. Uh, As we all know, caffeine peps us up, but it does this by blocking the effects of uh, a brain chemical called adenosine, and that's thought to be involved in promoting sleep. But did you know that the effects can take about eight hours to wear off? So if you have a cup of coffee late in the afternoon, you're probably going to interfere with how well you fall asleep at night. So you should set yourself a bit of a caffeine curfew at about 2 p.m. so that it's completely out of your system by the time you you go to bed. And the other thing that people do make a mistake uh, by drinking a little nightcap at bedtime, alcohol is pretty much too much alcohol anyway is a no-no at bedtime because although it acts as a sedative, helping you to fall asleep faster, the benefits are offset because you get more disrupted sleep Uh, in the second half of the night because alcohol is broken down quite quickly by the body and the sedative effect will wear off in a couple of hours and you'll be left with a sort of a mini withdrawal or rebound effect which causes wakefulness and restlessness. Let's talk about the bedroom because clearly I mean anybody knows that the room you're in has a lot to do with how well and if you sleep the temperature just the feel of the room. Is it messy? Is it clean? Is it... So let's talk about the importance of that environment. Absolutely crucial. Yeah. Your bedroom needs to be cool and dark. Sounds obvious, the dark bit, but let's start with the cool bit. Um, Most of us are probably sleeping in bedrooms that are too warm uh, because we've got obviously lovely central heating and we like to feel as if we're going into a cozy room at night. But To fall asleep, your body's core temperature needs to fall by about one degree Celsius for your brain to receive the message to initiate a surge in your nighttime melatonin production, which helps you fall asleep. Melatonin is that hormone that promotes restful sleep. So the ideal bedroom temperature is about 18 degrees Celsius, which sounds cold, but it's honestly the best environment for you to fall asleep. So check the temperature in your bedroom if you can. You'll probably find it's higher. Uh, And also the darkness bit. Your bedroom has to be really quite dark to help you produce more melatonin, your sleepy hormone. Even small amounts of light hitting your eyes, the cells in your retinas, even if it's from a street light, for example, that can hamper the production of your melatonin. So try this when you next go into your bedroom and you turn out the lights, put your hand in front of your face. And if you can see it really clearly, quite clearly, then the bedroom's too light. And even after your eyes have got used to the dark, you should still find it quite difficult to see completely across the room. But even small amounts of light from your phone charging or your iPad charging from your radio, that can disturb your sleep. Uh, So switch off appliances or cover them up. And also a good tip, which uh, some somebody told me, was if you have a digital radio or clock, try to get one that has an orange or red light display rather than the white or blue light displays, which actually um, interfere with your sleep. They, they hamper uh, melatonin production more. So, yeah, cool and dark, almost like sort of sleeping in a, in a cave. And so what do you do 
when you're lying in bed and you've done all those things, but you're tossing and turning and, you know, we hear things like, well, count sheep or count backwards by threes or what, what does the science say works? Well, counting sheep doesn't work, unfortunately. It's too boring. <laughs> Your mind needs to have something slightly less boring. Um, but for sure, you need to have a peaceful mind. I think that's the, the main thing. You need, to, you need to try and have a mind that's not worrying with worry. Um, and one thing which I found really useful uh, since I wrote about it some time ago in a feature is that you should every night before you go to bed... Uh, so at about six o'clock, they say, is a good time. You should have what's called a problem-solving worry time or a problem-solving mind dump. Studies have actually shown that if you do this, you set aside, say, 15 minutes to jot down your problems and some possible solutions to them. It kind of frees your mind from responsibility of dealing with worries when you're in bed. So you're sort of putting your worries to bed early, if you like. So if a worry does come to you when you're lying in bed, you're, you're lying there tossing and turning, that's, it is absolutely when all the worries do come in your mind. You can tell yourself that you'll deal with that worry in your worry time tomorrow and it helps break the association of your bed being a place of where you, where you worry and where you toss and turn. So that's a really good uh, tip that I found has worked for me I, I do that pretty much every every evening just jot down a few of the things that maybe I'm sort of concerned about or that I know need doing um, and another way to get a really nice calm mind at bedtime is to practice gratitude so this is a a, a system where you there's plenty of studies have shown that it absolutely works in calming your mind where you lying in bed you might be feeling anxious or tossing and turning, as we've said, where you just think of five good things in your day that have happened to you. So it might be something as simple as somebody rang you up and had a nice chat with you or somebody made you a cup of tea. I mean, meditation is another way of calming your mind instantly. Some people get put off by the term meditation. I think they think that you have to sit there cross-legged and, you know, gaze at a sunset and say, oh, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, meditation can be something as simple as just focusing your mind, sending it to a happy place. Uh, one particular study from the University of Oxford uh, found that insomniacs who were told to just visualise a happy place, they drifted off to sleep quicker than ever. And you can use apps to take you on guided meditations to uh, peaceful places. So you could be taken to a beautiful beach or swimming with dolphins. Um, so I think learning to meditate, if you can, but is a fantastic resource and it'll help you from uh, tossing and turning in bed. It's, it's also been found um, that people who meditate have, um, they actually produce more melatonin as well, which is, amazing I think I, I, I when I read about that study I was absolutely fascinated by it I thought that's that's just fantastic it could be the cure-all for all insomnia so insomnia not being able to fall asleep or stay asleep is really a symptom right of some other problem is your mind is racing or you're worried about something or you've got pain or something it's a symptom of another problem when I can't sleep I usually know why I can't sleep. It's not a mystery. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think we do all know, and we get ourselves then worked up about it, and it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. You go into that bedroom and you think, oh, here we go. I'm not going to be able to sleep again. This is going to happen again. So I think you've got to treat yourself kindly. You've got to be kind to yourself. You've got to say, you know, it's not my fault. It's just one of those things. Uh, And don't berate yourself for not being able to sleep because it does happen to everybody. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't got an an issue that cannot be solved. I remember talking to a a sleep researcher once who gave me a piece of advice that I have always followed, or not always, I try to follow. And that is if, if if you're lying in bed and you're tossing and turning and you know you're having trouble sleeping, probably the worst thing to do is to try to sleep because the more you try, the, the less likely you're going to fall asleep. And instead, get up and go read a book or do something that will make you sleepy. But lying in bed trying to sleep is almost always doomed to fail. Yeah, absolutely right. And the sort of most people, most sleep experts say that if after 20 minutes you've not managed to fall asleep, then yes, you need to get out of bed or just sit up in bed. Um, But you need to do that because you will then break that association of your bed as being the place of sleeplessness. So after 20 minutes, you get up, maybe go and do something, relax and sit in a chair, read a book for a little bit until you start to, to feel your eyes getting heavy again. But yeah, definitely getting up after 20 minutes is is a good idea if you if it feels like too big a step to get up uh, then sitting up in bed again and, and maybe reading a book for 15 minutes is a good idea when you mentioned there that you know the fact that trying to fall asleep is the worst thing you can do it's it's actually true uh, according to a study from uh, researchers from it was the university of glasgow they actually asked a group of insomniacs to try to fall asleep as they normally would and another group to lie in bed and keep their eyes open and try to stay awake for as long as possible and the result was funny because it was the second group who fell asleep the fastest and they reported feeling less anxiety about drifting off and the researchers sort of surmised that this is because this happened because sleep is an automatic process and that trying to fall asleep can actually inhibit this automatic process. So that's a really good good idea sometimes is to go to bed and think, no, I'm, I'm going to try and stay awake. And it's worked for me a couple of times, that one, I've got to say. And especially works in the morning. If you notice, whenever you wake up in the morning and the, the alarm's just gone off and you're thinking, oh, gosh, I'd do anything now to, to go back to sleep. But you really desperately try to stay awake, then chances are you'll fall back to sleep again. So yeah, that might be what we all need to do is to go to bed and try to stay awake. (laughs) Well, great. And I think this serves, this conversation serves as a necessary reminder that sleep really is important. And when you have trouble or you're not getting the right kind of sleep, there are plenty of things you can do to help that process along. Kim Jones has been my guest. She is a health journalist and author of the book, Trick Yourself to Sleep. 222 Ways to Fall and Stay Asleep from the Science of Slumber. And you'll find a link to that book in the show notes. If you have a car and you want to make it last a long time, don't start it. You see, when you start a cold engine, most of the oil has settled and the metal parts aren't lubricated. This causes excessive wear on engine parts until the oil starts to circulate and lubricate the engine. 
So the fewer times you have to start your car when it's cold, the better. That means that if you have to go out in your car and you have more than one car, take the car you use last. If the engine is still warm, starting it will cause less stress on the engine. Combine trips. If you can get all your errands done in one trip, the engine stays warm and lubricated and causes less wear and tear on the engine parts. When you do start up your car in the morning, wait just a minute until the oil starts to circulate before you drive it. It minimizes the stress on the engine. In short, the fewer cold engine starts you make, the better it is for your car, according to Jack Gillis, author of The Car Book. And that is something you should know. Our audience is growing. It'll grow faster if you'd be willing to help, and that is to share this podcast with someone you know. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.